Africa Climate Podcast. Hello, thank you so much for joining us again this week for another episode of the Africa Climate Podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. Now to some good news. This coming week, we are bringing back the Africa Climate Conversations podcast with the intention to have more field coverage from other parts of Africa and involve more African journalists reporting from the field. It premieres this Thursday with an update on the 11th Climate Change and Development Conference taking place this week in Namibia. Please do check our website www.africaclimatenews.com for that. Also, I'm hoping you have subscribed to our YouTube channel. Oh, please do. If you haven't yet, you will easily find it on our website www.africaclimatenews.com. This week, I did my very first video. Yes, ever talking about uh, the need to planting more indigenous trees if human beings are to deal with a human-induced climate crisis. So if you've always wondered the face behind this podcast, then yes, you will be able to see that face. So please do head there um, and do not forget to subscribe. Do not also forget to share and also do not forget to hit that subscribe button and do not also forget to leave us a comment while there. Now, in the meantime, today we look at how the Olalua forest in Kenya, an urban Kenyan forest about half an hour drive from Kenya's main airport, the Jomo Kenyatta Airport, has been affected by the city development and what environmentalists like Chris Moravi and the adjacent communities are doing to save the remaining forests. Here is Moravi. My name is Christopher Moravi. I'm from Mbulbul. Mbulbul is a location around the Olalua forest. I'm the current chairman for the Community Forest Association for Lolua Forest. Lolua Forest is, uh, is uh, in the block of the Gong, in the larger Gong Hills uh, Forest Station, which comprises of the Gong Hills itself, the Kibiko and Pakasi Forest, and Lolua Forest. These are the ones that make up what we call the Gong Metro Community Forest Association, which we are a part. In Lolua Forest, uh, we have a management committee comprising of nine leaders, which now I am the chair. Alolo Forest was gazetted in 1941 as a public forest. Fortunately, those many, many years, the community that was living around this place were the Maasai people who are known as uh, natural conservators. And that is the reason even now we still got remnants of original forests of Alolo Forest Gong and Kebiko. Because Maasai had a connection with nature. They saw forests as uh, connected to their own survivals, not just to their own lives, but also to their livestock. And so they connected so well with nature. I mean, the forests, the resources that are found there, of course, they would bring in their cattle for grazing, as well as wildlife. Maasai are not known to be cruel to wildlife. And so wildlife thrived in this forest those many years ago. However, even after independence, the forest still existed. But then, search for more land, I mean for development, I brought a lot of pressure around the entire forest blocks. And uh, people start acquiring land next adjacent to the forest, putting up big structures to what we can really see today. That Gong area where we had big landscapes of open 
land for wildlife is now full of buildings, human activities and so forth. In the early 90s, because of this development and people having hunger for, for land, for developments, purposes for building nice houses and because of the good climate conditions that were experienced around this place. Because around this place we are about 1,800 meters above sea level. It's quite higher than Nairobi, which means we've got better air, we've got better climate conditions than other places around Nairobi. And so land buying was very, very, very much demanding around this place. So if you go around, you find places that came up like Nbulbul, places like Gataka, Ololua, or Kerry, and all these areas start springing up and a lot of people coming, migrating from other areas. With that, it also brought with it threats and pressure into the ecosystem. Because when people come around a forest, unfortunately because the forest was and is still not fenced, anybody could enter the forest, do anything they wanted and get out and do all manners of things. The first threat was that people needed resources. They needed wood, they needed timber for building structures and those kind of stuff. And so the only place they could acquire them for free was inside the forest. And so a lot of uh, cutting of trees went ahead. In the most pristine areas, indigenous trees were felled down because these are hardwood, like uh, Ole Africana, the mohogo trees with silver oak. And these are the real indigenous trees that are found here. And so these ones were targeted, cut down in large, large volumes. So that's 1990s. And then, of course, either through design or through will or through complicity, parts of the forest were given out by politicians to the community around to quarry stones in those degraded areas where the, we didn't have a lot of trees. This again also brought a lot of uh, pressure into the forest. So vast lands, vast areas were cleared of indigenous trees and uh, stone quarries were established. A lot of materials that have developed Nairobi comes from uh, Olorua Forest. And so they mined a lot of stones. And even as you, if you walk around, you still see open quarries that are still there. And uh, you see remnants of the stones and open places, heaps of, uh, of hard course, which, which were left behind. Thereafter, after cutting of the indigenous trees and removing the, the stones. Then, after backfilling, instead of planting back the suitable species to regenerate the same, same uh, natural landscape, now they introduce eucalyptus trees. And the eucalyptus trees are quite invasive. They grow very fast. Uh, they drop their seedlings. And therefore, we've got almost if not more than 300 acres, about 300 acres of eucalyptus trees that have grown where we had those old quarry sites. So, in a way, the forest has seen a big beating because of the development by the people who came. Either because they lacked knowledge or they didn't see any value for the forest resource that was there, that has been there for millions of years and that has been guarded by the original inhabitants of this area, the Maasai people. The people who migrated here ignored uh, these values and saw forest as a place to go cut trees, mine stones, and, and just leave it there, uh, just like that. But in reality, this has resulted in many 
many negative uh, impacts in the forest in itself and around the people. Those days, weather temperatures never went above 24 or 25 degrees. Sometimes we could have 12, 11. We were living like in Europe. I believe that is why these early settlers, they settled around Karen because Karen was part of Olorua Forest. The ecosystem extended all the way to the Nairobi National Park, extended all the way to the Gong uh, Road Forest. And that, that was a whole canopy of indigenous forest that had big games, even including buffaloes, lions, rhinos, all those big animals. And that is maybe could be the reason that these fellows who came from Europe, the settlers, found it fit to settle around Karen area because of the ambience, the pristine area, the serene atmosphere, the good climate conditions. I mean, it was a pure paradise, I believe. It was a pure paradise. If you visit some of the places around, around Karen that still maintain the original uh, vegetation, you'd be surprised how, what kind of the vegetation that we had in this forest. And so, now, with the migration of people who didn't care, who didn't mind, who, I mean, that's our forest now started getting the negative effects of uh, destruction. And uh, by early 2000, the situation had worsened and uh, the community around Karen came, went to the court, lobbied to stop the continued quarrying of uh, stones and destruction of the forest further. And that is how it was stopped first in the year 2002. After the years, that was 2002, the communities around formed groups, environmental groups, and started thinking about how do we better the forest? Because now people start seeing it's becoming more warmer, uh, the forest is becoming more fragmented, uh, the animals are no longer there. We used to see giraffes, we used to see buffaloes, they were not there anymore. And so the people started seeing something is changing. The farms around the entire Olorua forest start changing. The crops they used to grow are no longer there. You know, the land start becoming more barren, more drier. The river streams that are cutting through the forest started being polluted. The ecosystem now was disturbed and it couldn't sustain the life that was in it then. And so the community started uh, picketing and asking, how do we prevent further destruction of this forest? By the time the community, we are forming groups like myself and others, uh, start uh, coming, uh, planting one tree here, one tree there. Then the coming of the Forest Management Act, where now the acts of the 2005 says, if a community comes together and forms and registers an association, and then sits down with KFS and works out a management plan so that both the community and KFS can partner in conservation and protection of that forest. That's how now we started by that. But even before we took the big leap ahead, then another big, big threat came. That of the SGR cutting through the forest. And I can remember those days in 2014, 2015, we lobbied a lot and we said, hey, even as the forest has taken a lot of beating and a lot of, uh, you know, destruction, is there no other way? Hmm? Can that SGR pass through somewhere else? And so there were varieties. It could pass through Kisamis and all that, blah, blah. Anyway, development has to come, but it comes with a big cost. Uh, we fought hard uh, to raise our concerns 
and to find ways whether the project could be taken elsewhere. But uh, anyway, the government has its way and the SGR line crossed over the Nairobi National Park into Olorua Forest where it cut 32 acres of pristine forest. And uh, that's a very, very big chunk of indigenous forest. And we are not just talking about trees. We are talking about biodiversity loss. We are talking about the ecosystem change. I mean, animals migrate, forced migration, because the blasting of those days in the quarries, the blasting when they were making these inroads into the forest, the blastings, you know, it disturbed animals. I mean, birds migrated, and smaller animals migrated. Unfortunately, we can no longer talk about wildlife in our forest. Nowadays, even uh, getting uh, to see a hyena is very difficult. A place where we used to have herds of giraffes, rivers that used to have crocodiles, fish, and all manners of life in them. There is no life anymore. Our rivers are dead, completely dead, because the pollution that is happening upstream. And there's a big injustice too, to not only the life in water, but also the life in the forest. This ecosystem supports life, and not just human life, it supports a lot of life. When you change ecology, things change, everything else change. And when people are talking about climate change, then they should come to Olorua Forest and see the change. And this is not just uh, rhetoric talking. These are mad-made climate changes. I mean, why come into a forest with big dynamites and blasts, chunks of land, killing all manners of life in the soils and trees and birds and animals migrating, some going to extinct, you know, destroying vast indigenous trees, valuable trees, medicinal trees, you know, valuable trees, you know, high-valued trees. And then later on planting useless trees like eucalyptus. I mean, trees that animals don't feed on, trees that don't support anything. There's no life under them. They are dead. Fortunately, we've got government agencies that are tasks. Compared in the areas where there are eucalyptus mm -hmm. and in the area where there are other indigenous trees, yes. what is the extent of the difference in terms of the biodiversity? It's very true that changes to an ecosystem changes a lot of things. And when people study ecology in itself, it means ecology is understanding the coexistence of living things together. That's the ecology we are talking about. So when we say an ecosystem, it's the ecology system that exists in that particular area at that time. All those living things, matters, be they trees, be they organic matters, whatever they are as living things, they create that biodiversity that is supporting life in them, coexisting together. When human beings came and distorted that ecosystem, blasted off the mind, the quarries, and then replaced the original, uh, the, the lost trees with the exotic or foreign species. That changed completely that ecosystem. That ecosystem that was there was supporting species of birds that could not be found in areas except in Olorua Forest. It supported specific life in our soils, in our air, that maybe could have been endemic only for this place alone. Now, when you introduce foreign vegetation that has not been properly well researched and introduce it into that ecosystem, it does more harm than good that was intended for that. 
what we can see is today is that where the indigenous forests or vegetation were, where we used to see bats or all kinds, where we used to see animals of all kinds in there and a lot of other vegetation, undergrowth vegetation under those trees. In these introduced forests, there is nothing in there. Nothing, nothing, even under the trees, nothing. It's just leaves. It's just desolate because there is nothing that is growing there. These trees don't support bad life. They don't support other lives. So there is a big loss when we talk about that ecology was disrupted and was destroyed and could, in many places, of course, we say it's extinct because what about those birds we used to see? They would feed from these fruit trees that are all over in this forest. And then the forest was just having a natural regeneration. We don't have a natural regeneration. If you walk around now the parts of those forests, you can see through. You can see through in those areas where we have these man-made plantations. Because man-made plantations are not made to create an ecosystem. They are man-made plantations are made to create economical benefits where people plant trees to harvest, to sell, to make money. One of the most important things is the pollinators. Yes. What has happened to them over these years? I'm going to give you a clear indication of how it is. This year, January, we established an apiary. We have placed 40 beehives. This is a place where we used to, when you walk like this time, instead of hearing planes flying over, you just hear buzzing of bees as you walked in this forest. Those years, buzzing of bees. Bees, 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 bees everywhere. Why? There was regeneration. There was a lot of uh, indigenous uh, vegetation, flowers and fruits that were supporting the life of bees. We have that apiary that I've told you we established. And out of the 40 beehives, only one hive has bees up to now. What does that tell you? It's telling you that we are having less and less bees. And when we have less bees, we have less cross-pollination and we have less growth. The forest is dying. So the vegetation that was there, that was supporting life for bees to continue living and reproducing and all that, it's no longer there. Even when we are talking about climate, climate change is also a matter of life. And not just human life, it's also about other lives. We, we need to understand that. So because of these changes now, you know, we have less pollination going on. And so it means less vegetation. And more less vegetation means an increase into dissolution of land, which will in turn turn into degradation. Degradation will turn into desertification. Bees are very critical in our ecosystems. If we cannot come up with good management plans, like the management plan we are making now for the forest, and put some strategies of better conservation methods, reintroduce the species of vegetation that were there to support the biodiversity that was there. We try to recover and to bring back that biodiversity to create back the macroclimate that was here quality enough for the biodiversity to thrive back again. And I'm very, very happy that KFS has allowed us now as the CFA of Ololua and the whole Gong Metro Community Forest Association to draw up a management plan bringing all the stakeholders together and, and, and look what our threats are, what our opportunities are what our weaknesses are. We really need to understand what can be done to bring back. It might take many years, but we need to start now. And I'm very happy to report to you that we already started here 12 years ago. 
where we are seated, this is a place which was a big quarry. It's a mountain, 25 acres of area. And you can see all these trees were planted by women groups around this place. Volunteer it, they were not paid by anybody. And even you can hear birds around. They are singing around because what we have done here is mixed. You can see it is not a mono forest. It's quite a mixture of, to create back that eco, natural forest that could have been there. We might not be able to make it as natural as it could be, but we could help nature reproduce itself the way it should be. Give it a chance. Give the mother nature a chance. We are putting up plants also for fence around the entire forest. This nine block, we put up a fence so that we allow the forest to regenerate by itself without the interference of human beings. And also we are bringing up a generation of youth. We have a beekeeping user group, tree nurseries, grazing, herbal, uh, research and education we have. We have ecotourism. We have water. These user groups have members. And I'm happy to say that uh, most of our members are women and youth. And youth are very important because we can see a continuity of the work that we have started doing now. Because if we don't have the youth, we, the older generation, after we go then, you know, we shall leave a gap. But I'm happy to say that we got a big number of youth who are very much interested by our continuous efforts in creating awareness, the importance of this ecosystem, the Ororua Forest. And not just this one, but all the others. Because we really need this forest to support our own lives. How many How many members? Uh, we are uh, currently at Ololio, we are about 736 okay. active members. These are active members who come from, from families. For instance, I'm an active member. I have four children and a wife. And all these ones, some of them, when I sell seed drinks, of course I take money there. It's creating some livelihoods out of our conservation efforts. Because we're also saying we are doing a smart conservation. Yeah? where we have programs. If you come, we ask you, adopt this degraded area, buy seedlings from us, so that we support our families back home. So you do uh, nursery and then you sell? Yes, so our program is like this, the tree nursery user group, tree seedlings production. We request people, individuals, organizations. We have these two acres, please. You can plant 2,000 trees. You can source these seedlings from the women groups. You buy them from there. And then we employ the youth group, user group, to dig up the holes. And then we plant. And then also the women groups also go to for watering, maybe once a month or once a week. So they get something kituki, dog. We want people to benefit from their conservation efforts. But we don't want them to benefit in the wrong way, cutting trees. No, we plant more trees, we put more beehives. We plant more trees. We invite more bees, we create more honey, we sell and we make some money. Mm. That's how we want to do it. And that is all we have today. Please do not forget to head to the Africa Climate News website, YouTube section. Please watch, subscribe and leave us a comment. And do not forget to share. Also remember, we will be updating you on the CCDA, that is the Climate Change and Development meeting happening this week in Namibia, that is the African COP, basically, through the podcast Africa Climate Conversation podcast that goes live again this Thursday. It will be available on the website and every podcast channel. In the meantime, do stay safe. Kwaheri, my name is Sophie Mbogwa. Africa. 
Climate Podcast.